Well, good morning, y'all. I hope you all had a good time last night at our little concert. I appreciate uh, Michael and Sean making me sound good when I sang there. Um, But uh, it's been a lot of uh, work for these guys, a long weekend, so please give them a hand for uh, everything they do. So um, we're in the middle of this series entitled, How Little Can I Do and Still Get Into Heaven? Or I guess it's actually titled, What is the Least I Can Do and um, Still Get Into Heaven? Uh, And we've been exploring this idea of what is the minimum threshold for us to get green-lighted to be able to pass through those pearly gates at the end of the day, right? And last week we talked about how little I can do for other people, still get into heaven, and today... It's the very popular message, how little can we give and still get into heaven? Uh, And I thought it might be interesting to start out by just kind of um, saying what the church typically teaches about this topic. Um, You know, the the church would teach that the minimum standard of giving is this idea of tithing. Now, I'd love to be able to uh, sit up here this morning and to tell you that the Bible commands us to tithe, and you better tithe. Because if everybody in the church tithed, we'd never have to worry about money, really. Um, and for those of you who don't know, uh, tithing is the act of giving 10% of your income to God. And so while there are many people in the church that practice it, it is certainly a solid biblical uh, principle, especially in the Old Testament of the Bible, where tithing is pretty much an expectation of what happens back then. In uh, Malachi chapter 3, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not even have room for it. So, Bible just, you know, promises that if you are faithful in tithing, that, you know, you'll be blessed as a result of it. And however, when we segue into the New Testament, the idea of tithing just kind of goes by the wayside. And so this morning, I'm going to give you the option to opt out of tithing. If that's something you would like to do, you can, you can literally check that box that I'm going to opt out of tithing. And in exchange, um, you can then follow the New Testament plan for giving. And you know I'm setting you up, right? <laughs> uh, because the Old Testament idea of, of tithing gets pushed aside for this New Testament teaching of a little something called sacrificial giving. It you know, just sounds harsh, doesn't it? And in case you didn't pick up on it, it comes from the root word to sacrifice, um, which is defined as surrendering something that is prized or greatly desired for the sake of something considered to be more meaningful and personally valuable, which means for us sitting in this room this morning, we're all in a little bit of trouble. Just a little something to inspire us about money this morning. Maybe Joe can lay down that baseline right behind the message and make it more interesting, too. Um, so let me just be uh, clear about something, because I know you people get uptight when we pastors start talking about money. 
Um, at the end of this message, I'm not going to pass the hat or like try to get more money out of you or anything. Um, what I'm really genuinely hoping is that um, that from this message that a few things can happen. One is that we can have an, a, a better understanding of why we give. Because I think a lot of people have no idea why we stinking pass this thing around on a Sunday morning and I, why I'm supposed to put my money in that thing. And I think that um, a lot of people don't understand the connection between giving and spiritual growth and what God really does expect of me. And so I'm hoping that today I can kind of lay down a theology of giving that is uh, really uh, solid but helps to give a better understanding of, of what this giving thing is all about. All right? So I want to do that by looking at a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's basically a letter that he was writing to the church in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, I think he gets into um, and addresses giving in the church. And so by way of background... I think it's important to note that Paul is actually speaking about an offering that he is taking up for the church in Jerusalem. Apparently, the church in Jerusalem had fallen on hard times, and he's asking other churches to contribute. And so, while he is asking the church at Corinth, which the letter is addressed to, while he's asking them to consider giving an offering, he uses the churches over in Macedonia as an example of what giving could and should look like. All right? So with that context, let me just read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1. It says, Paul speaking, writing the letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, now what I want you to know is what God's grace has done through the churches in Macedonia. They have many troubles. They're very poor, uh, but they are also filled with an abundant joy which is overflowed into rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, even beyond their ability. And they did it of their own free will. They pleaded with us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of those in need in Jerusalem. And they even did more than we even had originally hoped. And you now, Corinth, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your knowledge, your enthusiasm for God, and your love. I also want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. So Paul says to the church at Corinth, hey, as you are thinking about what it is you want to give as a gift, I just want to let you know what the churches over in Macedonia did. And these would be the churches that were in the city of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and all those that were kind of now in modern day Greece. And he said, these churches have really created a model for what giving should look like. He said, you know what? These churches are particularly poor. They were experiencing a recession themselves My guess is it looked a little something like our 2008 and 9. Times were tough. Paul describes them as extremely poor, but in spite of their poverty, they were incredibly generous. And so out of this passage, I think we can find some pretty strong biblical principles as to what giving should look like 
And what is the minimum amount that God expects me to give? All right? So the first biblical principle, I think, and this is absolutely foundational, is that giving is out of a response to God's grace. Verses 1 and 2. Now I want you to know what God's grace has done over there through those churches in Macedonia. So if he wants to talk about God's grace, why is he talking about money? They have had many troubles. They're poor. But also, they're filled with an abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. So he wants you to know that something funky is going on over there. right? These people, in spite of their hardship, in spite of their tough times, they're being incredibly generous. And so he's saying that is because of what God's grace is doing over there in these churches. Because, he says, out of their extreme poverty and difficult situations, the Macedonians still gave generously out of their response to the grace of God. You want to know if someone has encountered the grace of God? Look at their giving. Because most of the time, giving doesn't make any financial sense. There has to be something going on that causes somebody to want to give in such a generous way. You may have noticed that um, during our offering time here at Westridge, we will often say, if you're not in a relationship with God, if you're not in a place in your relationship with God where you want to give, don't give. Which is pretty radical, I think, for someone who is not a follower of Jesus to walk into the church and hear because I think most people have a perception of the church that all the church wants is my money. And there are some churches out there that are like that, but they're far and few between, and it isn't the norm. But we've made a commitment here at Westridge that we will not teach anything that is contrary to the Bible, and the Bible teaches that giving comes out of a response to God's grace. It is not some tax you have to pay. It is not something that you have to do out of some guilt trip because the pastor's manipulating you and making you feel guilty. If your life has not been radically transformed by Jesus, if you haven't experienced the profound nature of the forgiveness of God, then you have no reason to give. The foundation for giving is born out of our experience in God's grace. Paul uses a a Greek word here, and I'll spare you my pronunciation, but the idea is abundance or overflow. And when he says the Macedonians were so filled up with gratitude for the grace of God that they just had to do something, right? They were so filled up with joy that it just spilled out in all areas of their lives and it came out in the form of generosity. They gave not out of their overflow or abundance of money, but an overflow of joy in their lives. And so the Apostle Paul is kind of making a play on words here in a a contrast because there's a difference between giving only when we have a surplus of cash flow versus giving out an abundance of joy and no matter how much money 
is or is not on hand, we still give something meaningful. Because we're giving out of a response to God's grace, not of how much money we have or don't have. Which leads us to the second biblical principle of giving, which is that giving is sacrificial. Verse 3 says that the Macedonians gave not only what they could afford, but far more, even beyond their ability. I just had this conversation with one of my business partners, and um, for us in the corporate world, October 15th is our real tax day, and so we're kind of jiggering and figuring out last-minute details. And, and so he, the idea of tithing came up because all of our money is commingled and we're trying to raise money for new deals. And so he says, now, when you say tithing, are you tithing off the net or the gross? <laughs> I said, well, I said, I try to tithe off the gross. I said, because if you draw off the net, Where do you draw the line, really? Right? Because we can certainly fool ourselves in believing that we will tithe off of the net, of the net, of the net, of the net, if you know what I'm saying. Right? After taxes, after mortgage payment, car payment, credit card, debt, and maybe a round of golf, I got $100 left, and I am happy to pay my tithe of $10 off of that. Right? While it's an ingenious financial plan to keep more money, it's not what the Bible teaches about tithing. Tithing is off of your first dollars in. When you look at the Old Testament, it talks about first fruits, right? Because it was an agricultural-based community. And so the first of what you get, that's the first that you give. Before mortgages or bills or anything else, if we're going to tithe, then we're going to tithe off of our gross income to God. Now, I just want to make a distinguishing factor about this because, um, as I said earlier, um, you know, the, the New Testament teaches about sacrificial giving. And so for some of us, um, if we tithe our 10%, that may not be a meaningful gift for all of us. So it may be a situation where tithing is like the minimum and in order to give a meaningful amount, we prayerfully consider something more with this idea of sacrificial giving that Jesus teaches. So in my conversation with my business partner, I said, this is what I give to Westridge. And he said, you know, those are a lot of investment dollars that are going out the door. And I said, you know what? That's not something that's on the table for me. What I give to Westridge doesn't make any financial sense in our context, but I consider it an investment. Because when I write my check for offering, I consider all of you. Like, we're in this together, and I'm investing in us as a community to be able to have a place where we can grow spiritually and to be able to have a group of people where we can make a difference in the world, and it's something that's going to last beyond the grave. So I'm making an investment that is in an eternal capacity that I love, and it's meaningful for me. When I look at my life and how messed up I was in my past and how the sin that existed in my life and I look at 
the forgiveness that God has given me and the grace that he didn't have to give me that he blessed me with, I got to tell you, I'm grateful. And all I want to do is say thank you. And giving is a tangible way where I can just say thank you for what God has done for me. Now, I just want to backtrack on one thing because I want to be careful not to misrepresent this point about sacrificial giving. So when you look back, at, I mean, it's a pretty powerful thing when the Apostle Paul says um, the Macedonians gave not only what they could afford, but far more even beyond their ability. There's a lot of pastors out there that will take that verse and really manipulate people with it. And... Um, you know, the thing that drives me stinking nuts is this whole prosperity gospel thing. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that if you tap your credit card or you tap your line of credit and you give, that God is going to pay you back in spades ten times, you know, over. So don't worry about it. Go ahead and spend that money. God's going to pay you back. That is not true. <laughs> the Bible is very clear that you will be blessed as a result of giving, but that is not necessarily a financial blessing. It may be. That may happen. But that's not what the promise is. The promise is you will be blessed, that you will have a satisfied mind, as they talked about in the song, that you will have a sense of of purpose and, and meaning and fulfillment in your life because you've been able to get freed up, right? And live your life freed up from the stuff that holds us back and be able to... Give So we never want to misrepresent what that's all about. And I want to make this crystal clear. The amount that we give is meaningless to God. He just cares that the amount that we give is meaningful for you. So if I give 100 bucks and you give 100 bucks, it may mean two different things to us, right? And so God doesn't care whether it's 100 bucks or $100,000. He just cares that it is an amount that is meaningful for you. Paul, if you notice, never mentions the amount the Macedonians gave, does he? He doesn't have some thermometer that you know shows, okay, we're here, folks, and now we need to get here, and come on, 300 more dollars, and we're going to be there. He doesn't do any of that, does he? He's excited about their gift. Why? Because out of their poverty, out of their hardship... There is this abundance of joy and gratitude that caused them to give generously in a meaningful way for them. Third biblical principle. Giving is a privilege, not an obligation. Paul makes it very clear. He says it for a reason, right? The Macedonians gave entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing the gift of those who were in need in Jerusalem. He's making very clear these people were not coerced or manipulated. They actually pleaded with us for the privilege of being able to give to this incredible cause. In fact, that word pleaded could be translated as begged. They begged him to be able to give to this cause. You know, if I had a dime for everybody at Westridge who just begged me to be able to give more in the offering, to be able just to put another dollar in, please, Darren, let me put another dollar in. Can't relate to that (laughs) at all. 
Apparently, these people were so jazzed about what was going on, they wanted to give more, and they wanted to give in a, in a big way. So, just to be really honest with you, there, there are times, I know it's going to be you know, really hard for you all to believe, but there's times when I get a little whiny, and I start feeling sorry for myself, and there's times when I have to get up on a Sunday morning to speak after I've had a long week at work, or when I have to get up and then write that check when the cash flow is not there or you're really feeling it and, you know, I go, man, I don't want to do this. I got to stop and just say, dude, nobody's holding a gun to your head, right? You don't have to do this. You don't have to volunteer. You don't have to write that check. So figure it out. Like, get out of the whiny thing and, like, realize this is a, a privilege because I believe in what we're doing here, what we're up to here at Westridge, and this is a worthy cause, and it's a privilege for me to be part of something special like this church. So giving can't be with a sense of whininess or victim-y stuff, because you don't have to do it. It's not an obligation. You do not have to do it. It's a privilege for us to be able to participate and to help create something that is going to last beyond the grave and make a difference in this world. Giving gives us something tangible to say thank you for what God has done for us. Last biblical principle I want to point out is that giving is a result of and causes spiritual growth. And I think a lot of us really don't get this. But when you look at what Paul says here in verse 7, he says, Since Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your knowledge, your enthusiasm for God, your love, I also want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I mean, the Apostle Paul is putting giving as one of the core tenets of the Christian faith, right? And as I said before, if you're not at a place in your relationship with God where you want to give, then don't give. However, The opposite is also true. If you're in a relationship with God, and that means something to you, and you're not giving, or you're not giving in a meaningful way, you're just throwing a few bucks into the offering bag as it goes around to check that box to meet that obligation, I would challenge your perspective about that. Because that's not what the Bible teaches about what the Christian life is all about and what God wants of us. There's a reason why the Bible talks about money five times more than faith or prayer. (laughs) And it's because this is a real Achilles heel for a lot of us. Man, we are holding on tight to that stuff and we don't want to let it go. I have this very clear image in my head that giving really is the practice of the letting go of this world. I really believe that with all my heart. That every time we write that check, every time we hit that button on text to give, every time we drop cash into the offering bag, whatever it is for you, we're letting go of another little piece of this world. We are preparing ourselves for one day leaving this world and understanding that we can't hold on to that stuff. That in the end, that stuff just doesn't matter. 
And the more that we are able to let go of this world, the more capacity we have to fill ourselves up with the stuff of God. The more we give away, the more we are freed up to live free. Free of all that stuff that is a distraction to what my real purpose in life really is all about. The more freed up I am to grow spiritually. Believe it or not, as we grow in our relationship with God, so does our desire to give. Because giving is a condition of where we're at spiritually, not economically. So, God does not care how much you give. He cares that the amount that you give stretches you, challenges you, and when you give that money, you feel it, you know it's gone, and that helps us to grow in our faith. So what's the bottom line? How little can I give and still get into heaven? The true answer is you don't have to give a dime. We're saved by the grace of God. But the real truth is we have to give up all of it. Every last dime. Because God desires that we practice the art of the letting go of this world a little bit at a time so that we can become rich towards God. Jesus said, stop investing in the stuff that has no meaning. Because one day our lives will come to an end. And on that day, whether we want to or not, we're going to have to let go of all of it. But if we've been practicing the letting go of it all of our lives, on that day, we'll know that we're grabbing hold of the one we want to be holding on to when we walk out of this world and into the next.